Well, welcome to Hope City Church. Excited we get to be together wherever you are, all the locations, all the service times. Just excited uh, we get to be together, however you're a part of this service. And um, I love that song that we just did uh, to, uh, to get the blood flowing a little bit. I love it. I love it. I love it. So uh, thank you for being here. My name is Jason. Uh, I'm the pastor of, of the church, and uh, we are in the third part of a series that we are saying, are calling Testify. Everybody say Testify. 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 We're trying to talk about, or we're trying to figure out how to talk about Jesus without sounding crazy. And really at a deeper level, just trying to figure out how to explain and understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What, what does that mean? Because if I can understand what it means, then I would feel more comfortable talking about it. Uh, but but this, this series is helping us to, to understand that and to, and to put some words to our experiences. And uh, I just want to commend you. I want to brag on you a little bit as your pastor because uh, these last few weeks, we have talked about some heavy things. We've talked about uh, some big things, and you've been forced to think and dig deep and, and really kind of wrestle with what you believe, wrestle with your experiences, in some cases, wrestle with if you do truly have a relationship with God, if you are truly saved. And if you're in a growth group, you have probably had to be a little bit more vulnerable than you've wanted to be and, and share your testimony and put together, uh, you know, words to describe it. And, and if it's anything like my group, it's, it's great, but it's also a little bit intimidating. And, uh, and, and so I just want to brag on you because you've had to answer some questions that aren't you know, easy to answer, and, and I'm just proud of you. I'm proud of our church that we are we're learning what we believe and learning how to talk about what we believe. And, and my prayer is that we will be able, wherever we started in this process of, of explaining uh, our relationship with God, our spiritual experiences, my prayer is that we would be farther along. We would be better off. And we may not be perfect. We may not be able to articulate it exactly how we want to or should, but it will be, it will be better. And so um, just thank you for leaning in. Thank you for doing the hard work and the digging. And, and that being said, uh, I, I do want to just give you a heads up that even though up to this point we've done some heavy uh, digging and answered some questions and soul searched a little bit, this week will probably be the heaviest and the hardest week of the series because up until this point we have talked about how our faith in Jesus affects us. All of the conversations, all of the teaching has been about our faith and our belief and what Christ does for us and, and how he's changing us. And it's been about how our faith affects us. But today, we have to wrestle with how our faith in Jesus affects, affects other people, us, and other people that we know and, and we love. And, and you may be tempted at some point in this process to push back a little bit. Um, you may be tempted to tap out. You may have been with me for, you know, two weeks and like, yes, I'm with you. And then we get to week three and you're like, eh, no, that's where I'm drawing the line. Here's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm challenging you to lean in. I'm challenging you to ask the hard questions. I'm challenging you to search your heart and my prayer for you and all of our services and locations and this week and this weekend, my prayer for you has been that God will 
will bless you and reward that willingness to lean in to do something even greater and more significant and more profound um, in in your faith and in your relationship with God. So let me just kind of recap how we got to where we are. Um, we, we first talked about our conversion. We talked about that moment when we were saved and how that happened and and, and how we believed we needed a Savior because we are sinners. That's what it means to, to put our faith in Christ, that Jesus is the Savior that we need. And he was sent by God to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, and, and pay the penalty that we deserve. That's what we put our faith in. And once we believe that, our faith is in Jesus, we trust in that. We have a relationship with God, not because of our behavior or willpower or discipline, but because of what Jesus did, and that's what happened to us. That was the first part. And and then last week, we talked about a fancy Bible word, uh, sanctification. Uh, Really, if you wanted to lay these out kind of in, in, in theological words, week one was justification, Week two was sanctification, and then week three is glorification. But we're not calling it that, all right? It was what happened to me, uh, and then we talked about what is happening, that Christ lives in me, and so he is changing me. And that's what's happening in the life of someone whose faith is in Jesus as their Savior. They are being changed, not by willpower or discipline or trusting in themselves, but by trusting in Jesus, which brings us to the final part of, of this series. We're saved and we're changed, but what is the end result of all of this? Saved from what? What's going to happen to people who have a faith in Jesus, that he is the Savior that they need, and what's going to happen to people who don't believe that Jesus is the Savior that they need? Let's talk about all of that, and to do that, we're going to read two different uh, sections of the New Testament. There is a Bible around you somewhere, either underneath a seat around you or in the seat when you came in, and, and we're going to hang out in the book of First Thessalonians and the book of Second Peter, and you don't have to know where that is. If you got one of those sermon guides when you came in, there's page numbers on there for you, uh, but you can go ahead and grab that. I'm actually going to uh, give you several uh, Bible verses Uh, for this message, but we're going to kind of hang out in those two sections. And while you're finding that, I want to tell you about something that happened uh, two weeks ago. Andrea and I were in New York City uh, celebrating her birthday, and uh, we came out of a play uh, on a Sunday and turned my phone back on. And when I turned my phone back on, it just started buzzing and dinging uh, like crazy. And it it was several group chats that I was a part of, and these group chats were uh, informing me and just talking about the fact that Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, retired basketball player for the LA Lakers, had died in a helicopter crash. You've probably heard about this. Uh, it's obviously been big news. And um, maybe like you, when I read it, I just thought like, not that it was a joke, but like that something, maybe it wasn't true, something had to be, had to be wrong. And so I'm, I'm looking down at my phone and there was this feeling inside of me that was this mixture. I, I, I don't know that I could like give it one word. It was just this mixture of emotions of like sadness and, and confusion and shock, like all kind of going on. And honestly, it kind of stayed with me for, for the rest of the day. We, we caught a cab. We went back to the airport. We came back, back to Louisville, and, and it kind of stayed there with me. Andrea fell asleep on the plane on the way back. I was sitting there, and the lights were out in the plane. I was just kind of thinking about this news, and, and I can't speak for you, but I'm guessing you maybe felt that same mixture of emotions. 
maybe. What was that? What was that feeling? Maybe you felt it. I know I did. What do we call that feeling when we find out that someone has died too soon or maybe they've died tragically? What, what do we call that? Now, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but, but for me, for a few minutes, walking to my hotel, it was really a disorienting experience. I've never met Kobe Bryant. I have no connection to Kobe Bryant. I'm not even that big of an NBA fan. I mean, I, I obviously know who he is, and I've watched him play. I have kind of reached that age where I'm older than the professional athletes now, so it's kind of weird where I feel old, you know. Um, but, but in a way, you know, kind of grew up with Kobe and, and you know, something like that. And so uh, no, no connection, but still so disorienting. Was this a similar experience for you? Like it, it was just odd. It was, it was, it, it kind of captivated uh, our nation and still lingering effects. What is that? What is that feeling, that, that mixture of sadness and shock and confusion? What is that? What would we call that? Well, that feeling that you maybe felt, I know that I felt, is mortality. It's mortality. It's, it's a moment when someone has died, maybe unexpected, or, or maybe we walk up to a casket and we see a body, or, um, or, or we're, we hear the heart monitor machine in a hospital bed go off, and we are reminded that people die. And at some point, we will die. You may not want to hear that. Matter of fact, there are, uh, it's kind of a trend right now among tech billionaires. They're trying to figure out all these ways to, you know, freeze their bodies and figure out a way to not have to die and, and to extend indefinitely their life. But what we know about life is that it has an expiration date for every single person who is listening to my voice. You will die. But we forget that. We definitely don't want to think about it. And so when something like a celebrity dies or a family member dies, we have that emotion again, and we don't even really know what to call it, but it is mortality. It's mortality. And we start to think about death. And it can be scary to think about death. You start to wonder, will it hurt? Like when you die, does that hurt? Um, You begin to think about what's going to happen to your family after you're gone. You begin to think about what you know. What's the afterlife going afterlife going to be like? You know, and it's okay to ask questions. For sure, it's okay to ask questions. But for the person who believes that Jesus is their Savior, we don't have to guess what will happen to us. And we may not know every detail. Matter of fact, we don't know every detail. But the Bible does clearly explain what is inevitable for every single person alive, either, if you're a believer, if Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, either you're going to die or Jesus Christ will return before you die. But either way, once that happens, your, your life that you're currently living, which the Bible would call your earthly life, is going to end. And then your next life will begin. This is the life that you will live for eternity. This is, this is what's going to happen. This is inevitable for, for, for all of us. Everyone will die, or Jesus Christ will return for people who have not died yet. Our earthly life will end, and our next life will begin. And you, you probably already knew that. 
Uh, even if you didn't grow up in church or weren't religious, you probably, well, you definitely are aware of death, but even maybe in some vague way, you're aware of, maybe you saw a movie one time about, you know, people uh, disappearing, you know, or read a book, or even if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably vaguely at least familiar with this idea of, of Christ returning. And as Christians, just so you know, that's what we believe. We believe that Christ, at some point, Christ will return. He will return. You say, well, why do we believe that? Well, we believe it for several reasons, but the biggest reason that we believe it is because Jesus told us he would. That's in John 14. Let me show you uh, what he said. This is Jesus. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's talking to his disciples. He's still living at this point. No, no cross yet. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, you say, well, when's it going to be ready? Well, we don't know when it's going to be ready. But when everything's ready, Jesus said, I will come and get you. This is what Jesus said. This is not a fiction author. This is not some, you know, random religion or belief. The faith that we have in Jesus Christ, this guy said, Jesus Christ said, I will come and get you. And why will he do that? So that you will always be with me where I am. Now, we call this the rapture. We call this the, the rapture. And, and the word rapture is actually not in the Bible, just in case you do a word search. Uh, maybe somebody wants to argue with you at some point that the word rapture is not in the Bible but, but there is all kinds of descriptions for the rapture. There's a Latin word, rapturo, where we get the word rapture. And, and so there is, there is this, this several different descriptions of, of what we call the rapture. And believe it or not, this is part of your testimony. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but what happened to you when you put your faith in Christ, the conversion you have is definitely part of your testimony. What's happening to you and how Christ is changing you, definitely part of your testimony, but it doesn't stop there. A big part of your testimony is also what will happen to you. And ironically enough, even though it's maybe the, air quoting here, weirdest part to talk about, ironically enough, it's, it, it's probably the part that the people around you would be most inclined to talk to you about. Because as human beings, we're just kind of captivated by conversations about the afterlife and, and what happens after we die. And we are, we're, we're kind of captivated by that, these thoughts of this. So this is part of our testimony. As a believer in Jesus Christ, either I'm going to die and be with Jesus or I'm going to be raptured by Jesus and then go and be with Jesus. He will return and he's going to gather together those who believe, and, and then we're going to be raptured. And maybe you have tons of questions about this. You wouldn't be the first. Um, it's actually a phenomenal, like, church growth strategy. Just announce you're going to do, like, an end times kind of thing, and we'll pack the place out, uh, give away free posters with timelines and everything. Um, it's not what we're doing, but just so you know, like, we, you have questions, we have questions. And we don't have time to answer all those questions and read all the parts of the Bible about that. But I want to read you the most famous one. There's, there's several of them. But the most famous part of the Bible that talks about the rapture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Hopefully you found it by now. If not, there's some page numbers on the sermon guide for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul's writing, Jesus said, we read John 14, Jesus said, I'm coming back. 
at some point when everything's ready, I'm coming back. And Paul is going to give us a little bit more of a description of what this is going to be like, what we as believers call the rapture. Uh, we're going to start in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13. We're going to read uh, to verse 18. Here's what it says. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So he's writing to brothers and sisters of the faith, the church, to people who believe, he wants them to know what will happen to believers who have died, so we will not grieve like people who have no hope. Look at verse 14. This is big. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Most, most scholars and theologians believe these are all the people from the Old Testament, the people before Christ who died, that, that he will bring them with him. And then it says... Uh, we tell you this directly from the Lord, verse 15. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And this is interesting, a uh, little last line. So encourage each other with these words. The, what I just read to you is supposed to be encouraging, and we'll talk about that uh, in, in a few moments. But this is definitely the most famous section of the Bible about the rapture. We don't know all the details, but these verses and other verses do confirm for us that at some point Jesus Christ will return and those who are alive and believe in Jesus and those who have died and believed in Jesus will be raptured away and, and will be with Jesus. Now, that very first verse that we read, verse 13, uh, look at it real quick. If you still have your Bible out, you can look at it again. Paul says, now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen. That's what verse 13 says in the New Living Translation that I just read. We want you to know what happened. But the, the NIV says, brothers and sisters, don't be uninformed. And then the, the King James and older translations, they just really weren't feeling kind. They said, don't be ignorant. So that was the translation in the older translations. They, they said, don't be ignorant about what's going to happen. And, and if we're being honest, most of us have beliefs about death and the afterlife based on what we came up with on our own or saw in a movie or read in a book. We, we base our beliefs about what will happen with Christ's return or after we die based on what we want to be true or what sounds best to us. And the truth is, when it comes to life after death and the rapture, the, the truth is we're... We're, we're pretty uninformed. We're pretty ignorant. And this is never more visible and, and obvious than at a funeral. As a pastor, I get asked to perform a lot of funerals. And unfortunately, in our grief and sadness, we kind of grab a hold of anything that makes us feel better. And it makes sense, right? At a, at a basic level, like it makes sense that we want, we grab hold of what we hope to be true. And and the biggest kind of misinformation that we have, or the biggest, I guess even lie, we just say lie that we believe, is this idea that we're all in a better place. We're all in a better place. This is, this is, a, this is a very uh, common thing, uh, funerals that I go to. 
Most of the time I'm getting called because, you know, a person didn't have a pastor or a church and a niece or a nephew goes to our church and they call. And, and if I can't do it, one of our pastors on staff, we, we want to try to be available to do that. But, but often there is this sense behind the scenes that people are scrambling to confirm, were they or weren't they? Was there a time? Did, was there a camp? Did they ever go in the water? Did, were they, well, what about when they were a baby? Was there? Did they? How about that time? Did the, did the guy stop by when they were in the hospital? Like, can we somehow connect the dot? Can, can, can we connect this? And whether we can or we can't, there is this sense that they're in a better place. I don't know how many funerals I've done. and I don't keep count. But there's only been one time, one funeral ever, when one of the, the children of the, of the person who passed away came to me on the side and said, listen, we all know he was a terrible person. Don't feel any pressure to get him into heaven. And I said, well, first of all, it doesn't work that way. But second of all, okay, <laughs> thank you, you know. But you do, as a minister and as a pastor, you do feel this pressure. And as a family member or a friend, we do feel this pressure that, we're in, that they're, in a better, they're in a better place. Now, no one ever technically calls that better place heaven. Because to say heaven would, you know, require us to acknowledge Christ, the cross, hell, those things. So we say better place, and better place is, is open-ended enough, and it's vague enough to kind of be whatever we need it to, to, to be. And, 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 you know, whatever, whatever uh, you know, works. We can smile, we can nod, we can imagine whatever scenario makes us feel better. And, and I have, and you have, I'm sure we all, these better places have been described in so many different ways. It's just because, it's not because we're trying to do anything deceitful or wrong. Or, we're, just, we're just uninformed. We're just ignorant of, of, of what the Bible teaches. You know, I've had people say, you know, I'm just so glad that, you know, Papa can be in heaven now where he gets to watch all the Louisville basketball games that he wants. Or I'm so, I'm so glad he's in a place where they can eat all the ice cream they want and not get a stomach ache. And, you know, it's cute and it's novelty, whatever. But, but, but we're just kind of grabbing you know, we're just kind of grabbing to what we hope to be true or what we want to be, want to be true. This is a popular idea. You can understand why. We all want the people that we love and know to be in a better place, but it's not true. It's not true. The Bible teaches us that there are only two outcomes for every human being in the afterlife, heaven or hell. It's the only two outcomes that are available. And we don't know exactly what hell is like. Uh, I can confidently predict that it's not like the Halloween costumes or the Renaissance paintings, probably. We don't know what it's like exactly, but, but we do know a few things about hell. If you're ever talking to somebody who says, well, they don't, you know, hell's not in the Bible. Uh, you know, hell's not a real place. They don't talk about it in the Bible. That's, that's, that's somebody who has not read the Bible um, because it's talked about a lot. Jesus talked about it. The disciples talked about it. They, and so we don't know all the details about it, but we do know a few things. I just jotted down a few for you. We know that hell is a miserable place. We know it's miserable. We know that the people who end up there wish they weren't there. We know that in one story Jesus told that the people who are there wish they could come back and warn their friends and family to make sure they don't end up there. We know that people who are there will beg to be able to leave but not be able to leave. We know that it is eternal, meaning that it is forever, that what happens in the life after our earthly life is 
is, is the eternal life that we live, the forever life that we live. We don't know, you know, about the fires or the devil or the pitchfork or the logo. We, we don't know those things, and it's fine if you want to have arguments about that, but we don't know. And lots of really smart people are researching and debating, but we know enough to know it's not a place that anyone would ever want to go. And the people who are there don't want to be there. So who goes to hell? Who goes to hell? Do bad people go to hell? No, bad people do not go to hell. Hell is not for bad people, and heaven is not for good people. Hell is where people go who did not believe that Jesus is the Savior that they need. It's, it's not about good or bad. It's about our faith. It's about our salvation that, that Jesus provides. Now, when you talk about hell, um, there are really two major pushbacks about hell. I get to have these conversations more often than I would like, but you kind of get two uh, big pushbacks because of this kind of idea of universalism, this idea that kind of everybody figure out your way, and then at the end, we'll all kind of be at the finish line together, which is not what we as Christians believe. We don't have to be defensive about it. We don't have to be angry about it, but it's not what we believe, and we believe that Jesus is the way. And so when you, when you teach or you talk about hell and you describe it in some of the ways that I have, you get two major pushbacks. The two biggest pushbacks that you get is, first, that it's mean. Well, that's mean. How could God do that? And the second pushback that you get is that it's not fair. It's mean. I could never worship a God who would want people to go to hell. And, and the second one is that it's not fair. What about that guy? What about a, a Buddhist? What about a, eh, why do I get to go? And they don't, that doesn't seem fair. So let's talk about those for, for a moment. It's mean. And it's not fair. Let's, let's first talk about the idea that it's, it's mean. It's mean that God would send people to hell. I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, you were in a courtroom and you were standing before a judge and, and you were guilty. You were guilty of what you had been accused of and the judge was getting ready to sentence you and the judge sentenced you to death. You had to die for what you did. And so the judge sentenced you to death. But in the back of the courtroom, somebody stepped forward and stepped up and said, I don't want them to have to die. Judge, I know that somebody has to pay the penalty for what they did, but I don't want it to be them. So I am willing to die in their place. And the judge looks at you and says, is that what you want? And you say, you mean that person's willing to die? The judge says, yes, yeah, somebody's got to die. They're willing to do it. Do you believe that they're willing to do it? You say, Yeah. Do you want them? Are you willing to accept them dying in your place? And you say, yes. Imagine the next person walks into the courtroom and they're standing before the judge and they're guilty and the judge is gonna sentence them for their crime and the judge sentences them to death and somebody steps up from the back of the courtroom and says, judge, I do not want them to die. I know somebody has to die, but I don't want it to be them and so I'm gonna step forward and I'm going to volunteer to die in their place. The judge looks at the person and says, do you believe that that's true? Some people say, no, he's, he's lying. Maybe they say, yeah, I believe it's true. He says, do you accept that? 
You said yes. You said yes. But this person, for whatever reason, maybe they don't think they're guilty. Maybe they don't feel like they're worthy. They say, no, I will not let that person die for me. What we believe as Christians is that Jesus Christ stepped forward from the back of the courtroom for every single human being who has ever been alive because we are guilty. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners and we are guilty and a penalty has to be paid because God is just. And so Jesus stepped forward for every single person. Let me ask you a question. You decided to accept it. Another person decided they didn't want to. Is it mean that the second person died? No, it's not mean. It's not good news. It doesn't make us happy. It doesn't make us excited. We don't stand on the side of the courtroom with poster board that say, ha, 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 go die. It's tragic. It breaks their heart. It's not mean. Then, then people say, well, it's not fair. The, the same, we, we, we say this same example, and we would say, no, you're right, it's not fair. But what's not fair is that I didn't have to die. Not that someone chose not to receive someone dying in their place. This idea of fairness makes it sound as if The good people go and the evil people don't. But this is kind of the big idea for what we're trying to get at in in this message. And understand is that heaven isn't for good people. It's for people who believe the good news about Jesus. If you believe that Jesus stepped forward from the back of the courtroom and said somebody has to die, but I don't want it to be them, so I'll let it be me. That was you who had to go pay that penalty, but someone stepped up. That's good news. That you were guilty, I was guilty. But Jesus says, I'll do it. That's who gets to go to heaven, not good people. There's no such thing as good Christians. But there are people who have believed the good news. So I'm not not minimizing the hang-ups that we have, this idea about God being mean, this idea about God being fair. How could God do that? How how could God, I want to read to you the second uh, section in 2 Peter that we we mentioned. And this is um, another kind of famous uh, passage or section of Bible verses. It's it's chapter 3, 2 Peter. We're going to start at verse 9, but this is what Peter said, because they're having a little bit of this debate and the people he's writing to, they're kind of talking about this as well. And he says in verse nine, the Lord, talking about Christ, isn't really being slow about his promise. He's talking about the promise to return because people, uh, when this letter was written, were saying like, they made that up. He's not coming back. He's not really coming. And Peter says, he's not really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, why hasn't Christ returned yet? He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I can't believe God would do that. God's heart, God's will is that everyone would repent. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And the heavens will pass away. The terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found 
to deserve judgment. This is when we're standing before the judge. There will come a point when every single one of us will stand to be judged for our lives. And the judge does not say, were you good or were you bad? The judge says, did you believe the good news or reject the good news? And he says, verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should we live? In other words, he's saying, how would you drive home that afternoon after that guy stepped up and took your place? How would breakfast taste the next morning when you know you should not have woken up that morning, but somebody took your place? How would you live? How would you feel? Peter says, like, the godly life and holy life, we should live that way because we know what's coming looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away the flames. But we, believers, are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. It, it, it should never excite a Christian that someone is going to hell. It should never make us happy. We should never be excited to inform someone that they would be going to hell, but we're not. But what should excite us and what should encourage us and what should draw our hearts like a magnet is this idea and this belief that there will come a time when we will be with Christ forever. And I'm pretty sure you don't eat all the ice cream you want and not get a stomach ache. And I'm pretty sure there's no satellite up there, and I'm, pre I, I'm pretty sure all that's true. But here's what I know is that dev heaven will not be a disappointment. Because heaven is the place where the people go who want God. And God's there. And we're with him. We're with him. And so Paul says in Thessalonians, Peter tells us in Peter, Paul says, talk about this often. I kind of need to apologize and, and, and to you as your pastor. We don't talk about this more. We should talk about this more. Not because it's scary, but because it is encouraging for those of us whose faith is in Jesus, that he is the Savior that we need, that he stepped up in the courtroom and we allowed him and chose to, to receive the grace that he was giving. Paul says, man, think about the rapture. Think about heaven Think about being with Christ forever and want that, want that. Use these words, be encouraged. And maybe you're thinking, you know, 30 minutes in, i got to be honest with you, Jason, I'm not that encouraged. <laughs> this doesn't sound that encouraging. Why is the rapture encouraging? Why is this idea of, uh, of eternal forever life, afterlife, why is this encouraging? And Paul told us, if you have your sermon guide, I want you to write these, write these in. I'm just going to give them to you. Uh, pretty quickly here, it's, it's in verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen. Don't be uninformed of believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. He gives us two reasons why we should be encouraged. Why should heaven be an encouragement for believers? Number one, because you don't have to guess what happens after death. Part of the encouragement for those of us whose faith is in Jesus is we don't have to be uncertain. We don't know exactly what it's like, and we don't know where it is, and we, yet we don't know all the details. But we don't have to guess what happens after we die. We don't have to guess for those of our friends and family who are believers. We don't have to guess. So this should encourage us. And, and you know what is, um, is so telling is when there's someone in your life, I think about my mom died of cancer uh, 
eight and a half years ago. Um, I think about my grandmother who passed away a year or two ago. When you're ever around somebody who is about to pass into the next life, but they are confident in their faith in Christ, even in their sickness and in their near death, they are encouraged. Are they a little freaked out? Sure. Are they worried about their kids when they're gone? Of course. But they are not unsure about what will happen to them when they stop breathing. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, the, the old school translation says, to be absent from this body is to be present with Christ. We believe as Christians that the moment you stop breathing here in whatever way it works, which we don't know, you start breathing there. You're with Christ. We don't have to guess. The second reason it's encouraging for those of us who believe in heaven and those of us who will be going to heaven is because we don't have to grieve about death. We don't have to guess and we don't have to grieve. Now, Paul says you don't, you don't, you're not allowed to grieve. The Psalms is filled with grieving and sadness. The Psalms say that Christ is, God is close to the brokenhearted. Another Psalm says he collects our tears in a bottle. This idea that he's close to us, we get to cry, we get to be sad. But Paul says we don't grieve like people who have no hope. We're sad because they're not here. We're sad because we don't get to hear their voice. We're sad because we don't get to laugh at their jokes. Those things are sad. But we don't grieve like people who have no hope because our hope is in Christ, and we will be with him when this life is over. Any separation is just temporary. And so it's okay to be sad, but we are not sad with no hope. We are sad with an eager anticipation for what's to come. So, so I, I thought long and hard about how, how do you end this message? You know, do, do I bring out like actors in like demon costumes? I said, no, let's don't do that. Um, I'm joking. It was never on the table. But um, how, how do we end this? I just want to ask you three questions. You got a lot to think about. But I want to ask you three questions to try to help us figure out what to do with this. The first question is this, is do you believe it's true? Do you believe it's true? Everything I just said to you, do you believe it's true? Have you concocted, you know, some uninformed opinion about what's next because of what you hope is true or, or put together information so that you wouldn't have to be sad about other things? Do you believe that it's true? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, we read it, that if you believe in Jesus, you also believe and the rapture and what is to come. Do you believe that believers go to heaven? Do you believe that unbelievers go to hell? Do you believe that the wages of sin is death? Do you believe that you're guilty? Do you believe that you need a savior? And if you were to say, I was with you until hell, Jason, but I can't get with the hell thing. I don't believe in hell. My, my question for you would be, what, what do you need a savior for? What do you need saving from? If we just die and lay in the ground, or if everyone ends up at the finish line, what, what, is, what do you need a savior for? Sin is a liar. The devil is a thief. 
He promises us things that will destroy our life, but Jesus steps up and says, I will save you from the end result of where this is heading. And where it is heading is death, spiritual, eternal death. But I will stand in the gap and be the savior that you need. And if you don't believe that the wages of sin is death and the end result of not having faith in Christ is hell, I'm not entirely sure that you can believe in a Savior. Let me say the second question is this, is do you feel excited about it? Do you believe it's true? And if you do believe it's true, do you feel excited about it? Now, I'm not talking about being excited about the fact that there would be people in hell. I'm talking about being excited about the fact that you're going to live, you know, 50, 60, 80, 90, you know, whatever years here, which is just, the Bible says, a speck of dust, but you will be forever with Christ. Does that excite you? Now, when I was growing up, uh, in the churches that I was raised in, they always described heaven as a place that we would go and just worship God forever. Here was my hang-up. My feet always hurt after two songs. I, I didn't want to sing a lot of songs. And so... They're saying we're just going to worship and worship and worship. I'm thinking we're just going to be repeating these songs. I don't understand. Do we get a break? Do we get to sit down? Like, I'm, I'm, this is how my mind works. I'm just telling you, like, I was just a weird kid. And, 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 and honestly, as, as silly as that is, honestly, there are things that we think about about heaven. And if we're not careful, we can be disappointed by them. Well, will I get to see my spouse? I have no idea. But heaven will not be a disappointment. What about my kids? What about my life that I've built? What about, I have no idea. But when people showed up to ask Jesus that question, Jesus says, you're not reading the Bible and you're not getting it because heaven's gonna be so ridiculously amazing that there will be nothing about it that will make you go like, man, well, that's kind of a downer. And Paul says, when you think about it, there should be like a magnet in your soul that says like, look, God, thank you for all that you've given me. But man, I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to be with you. And if you're not excited about it, doesn't mean you're a bad person, doesn't mean you're a heathen or you're evil. But if you're not excited about it, you may have, whatever it is that's causing you to not be excited about it, you may have identified some things in your life that you value more than you value Christ. Good things that, you know, are noble and, and we hold in high esteem. You say, man, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't want to go to hell and I'd like to go to heaven. But not until hmm, we're identifying the things that excite us more than Christ. So let, let me give you the third question. Do you care that people in your life won't go to heaven? Do you believe it's true? Are you excited about it? And do you care? That there are people in your life who won't go to heaven. I really thought long and hard about rewording this because that do you care part sounds more guilty than I'm trying to. I'm not trying to like just throw guilt out on you. Like, don't you care? Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. But I am trying to ask you, like, if what you, if, if what I just said, if you believe what I just said is true, and you believe that heaven is as great as it is, and hell is as awful as it is. Is there some part of you that has been thinking about names and faces of people that you love and you care about and you say, I want them there. 
I want them with me. I want them with Jesus. My prayer and my hope is that as we have taken these these weeks to to explain how Christ has saved us and how Christ is changing us, my prayer is that now, based on that belief in Christ, that we would be moved to talk about it, to share about it, to take steps. Maybe we start saying to someone who's talking to us, hey, I'll be praying for you. Maybe that's step one. But God, will you help us? We're praying. God, will you help us? If we believe this is true, if it's happening in us, God, will you help us to talk about it, to not be afraid, to risk a reputation, to risk vulnerability, to risk a little bit of silliness or sounding crazy because I believe it's true and I don't want anybody that I know to go to hell and I want everybody that I love to go to heaven. So God, I'm gonna throw myself out there and if you will help me, I'm gonna talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to think about Christ. I want you to think about heaven. I want you to long for it. But I want there to be a fire in your stomach and a fire in my stomach to leave this place with a passion to grab as many people as we can on the way to heaven and take them with us. And my bet is that for a lot of you listening right now, someone did that for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we didn't have a way to know you, when we didn't have a way to have a relationship with you, you sent Jesus and he made a way. Thank you, God, that when we deserve death, Jesus stepped forward from the back of the room and took our place. And God, I pray that anyone who is listening to my voice right now who is not sure what will happen to them when this earthly life is over, that they would not wait another moment, they would not wait another day, they would not wait another service, but they would trust in Jesus as the Savior that they need. And that, God, you would give us the courage and the confidence to go and to talk about what you are doing and have done in us and will do for us to as many people as we can In Jesus' name we pray, amen.